My name's Elliot Richards. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking lads? You're going to get into, out of the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you yeah. regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today we're talking to Elliot Richards. Um, yeah, I'm Elliot Richards, um, 29 now, um, professional footballer at the moment with Barnet FC. I'm currently just on here to have a chat with um, you two about my career. Joining me today on today's episode, it's Anthony Olsen. Hi, how are we? Hi, Anthony. You all right? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, yeah, not bad, not bad. Here on a Monday morning once again. Oh, yeah. Good old Monday, Monday. I always find it funny that there are people, because the episodes is always out on our feed at about five o'clock in the morning, mm. and I always find it funny that there are people who have heard us speak mm. that day before even we have <laughs> yeah I suppose yeah it is a bit which, of is, it. which is weird isn't it yeah it's a bit weird that yeah so you people listening right now li- listening in mm. you're hearing us before we've even heard ourselves oh, the wonders of technology I mean first thing I'd be doing in a Monday morning is probably is this is this acceptable for broadcast no I get my child up ready for school and okay. hoping he's not in a bad mood <laughs> to be honest <laughs> no I don't want to put my t-shirt on he's he's actually not looking forward to hearing your voice on a Monday morning no, like the listener sometimes he is and sometimes I walk into the room he's like no <laughs> like, what do you mean no <laughs> no and no. he goes into a little ball <laughs> like covers his eyes like I'm not there so yeah um, he does love me other times that's that's alright that's it. It, it you know a roller coaster. He was perfect the other day. So obviously after the the other day, yeah, the other day, yeah, you remember the days when they're perfect. So after England beat Denmark, uh, obviously I woke up on a Thursday, had a bit of a sore head, a little bit, and I was just praying he was going to be nice. He was absolutely perfect. Oh, he was so good. Yeah, but still at that point, England was still in the European. Maybe Championships. maybe he was swept along with it as well. We all were, mate. Mm. Everyone was, you know. It, it, we spoke up a little bit about it on Friday's episode. You know, we don't need to bring it up again, but mm. you know, it was it was it was great times, halcyon days. I feel like we have a Welshman on the show today, so potentially shouldn't talk about it too much. No, 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 should not res- too much at all. Should respect our Welsh brethren absolutely, and they did fantastically. They did. Yeah. They well, well, no, come on, they got to the got to the tournament and then they got to the second round. Stop! You sound, you sound like you're ruffling their hair. No, 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 no. Oh, didn't you no. do well? No, they did. They did. They did. Well. Yes, they, they did. did well. They did. That that uh, win against Turkey was very entertaining. It, it was, was one of yeah. our one of our games of the tournament that we spoke about during some of our Euro shows. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So, uh, if anything, Wales fans, if you're listening, sure you are. You're probably thinking, God, there's nothing in it for us. And then 
Yeah, and then that comes on. And then that comes along. Perfect. There you go. Um, I realise we're waffling now. Hello to you, the listener. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for joining us today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. We have, of course, got Elliot Richards on the show today. Now, Elliot Richards, for a very only quite a short period, was mm-hmm. a was a was a Tramia player, so played for our team. It was during a little bit of a weird time for the club as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I I, I think it was probably. One of the worst times, I think. Yeah. A really difficult time, to be honest. And I, I, I was having to think about this when I was listening to the interview, and I was kind of like, we'd just been relegated. We had a new manager coming in. We had new owners. We had new owners coming in. We didn't quite know what that was going to be like. It was really tough. The the club and the fan base was really divided. It was quite a, a sorrow affair being relegated. It wasn't good at all. Our previous manager had been sacked for a, putting a three-pound bet on. Um, it was really quite bad. I mean, the facilities were terrible. Yeah, the ground was awful and still is. <laughs> just yeah. like it was just really, really strange. And then obviously Elliot Richards has come into it, and to be honest, I thought he, I thought he was okay. I thought he did pretty well. And yeah. and, and and then obviously you're going to hear a bit more about what happened. But yeah, and and, and he was a player we were quite excited. I think about mm, about signing. It was a weird season that because I think we went into it with quite a lot of sort of optimism, mm. probably misplaced optimism. Yeah, and that got washed away pretty quickly. Oh yeah. Mm. Two relegations will do that. Mm. Um but yeah, so Elliot Richards was a was um a player at Tranmere and he's had a, a quite a long career play for mm. a lot of clubs. Um and then he was he's probably known a lot for for in people's consciousness due to the cancer diagnosis that he got um a few years back, which he's spoken about in the press and has, has been quite widely publicised. And that was kind of our what we wanted to get him on to talk about mm. was both his career, some of the ups, some of the downs of, of being a, a footballer, which are always interesting for us to talk about, and also to get his kind of side of the story of what happened during that time when he got the cancer diagnosis, how he dealt with it, how he recovered, you know, and all those kind of emotions that go with it. Obviously, building on what we did on Friday with Team DDB, kind of keeping that theme up, keeping that theme up going to the theme and oh we got the theme yeah see another good segue yeah, from me there good, you're getting better at this thank you very much do you want to listen to the theme we're only like 140 episodes in so <laughs> at some point i had to learn what i was doing uh, yes could you give me and also the listeners the uh, the theme for today please mate yeah so our theme today is found a lump get yourself checked out and i think that's such a, a really important message Massively. you know any any concern that you got down there any or you know in any party body just go along yeah have a little look, have a little chat, get a better understanding because don't Google it. Do not Google it because that doesn't yeah. work. It don't doesn't do work. That. Don't do that. Go to the experts. Don't go on WebMD or whatever you want to go on. Or Wikipedia. Yeah, that doesn't work. To Go to the experts. There's a lot of them there mm-hmm. and they'll be able to help you. And yeah, I, th- I think that's uh, the most important message, I think, in this interview and in the interviews we've had previously with Danny Danny the Brabs and, and, and the ones coming up. So Yeah, absolutely, mate. And... and you know, we, we, we'll we'll obviously speak in this episode to Elliot about his cancer diagnosis, and then obviously on 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 Friday's episode, we'll we'll be going into that quite a lot as well with with Tracy Tom Beadies, and and that's certainly something that um that, that, that resonates throughout. That is is that important to go and get yourself checked out? Testicular cancer has ninety one percent survival rate, but that's all when you get it caught early when it doesn't you know, go further and start getting into different parts of your body. And so it's really, really important. And if we anyone takes anything away from today's episode as much as anything else, find a lump, get it checked out. Then that's a then that's a good theme from us. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. We're gonna ask you 
We're going to hand you over to, to Elliot now and the interview, and then we'll see you very briefly on the other side. You're listening to Man Marking. Just to, to start with your career then, you obviously started at, at Bristol Rovers after um, a spell through their academy. I think you uh, you made your debut in around 2010. What was that experience like coming through at, at Bristol? Obviously, you're Welsh, so was it relatively close to the part of Wales you'd grow up in? Um, it was about an hour away, but at the time, Bristol Rovers wasn't like the normal youth youth academy setup they got today. It was kind of like a college setup. So going down there was more kind of college based and then football was kind of second. So then the second year of YT was kind of all changed around. And then that's how I managed to get first year pro an hour, uh, a year earlier than you should normally get it. And kind of hit the ground running with, with Bristol Rovers. And then luckily I got my chance in, I think it was January sometime, Gillingham away. I made my debut and then never looked back. Did you enjoy that um, element of having the sort of the college alongside the football? Seems like quite a good approach. Um, at the time, I didn't really think because I just had my head on football. I just wanted to play football. I didn't want to go to college or anything like that. But it was a good experience because I met a lot more people than I would have if I didn't. If I just went into the football side of it, so I kind of really changed my kind of look on life when I moved from Wales. So I lived up kind of up the valley, so out of the way, going to a busy city. So it was, it was really a good experience. And you, you broke into the team at around 18, 19. And how did you find that step up into first team football? Um, at the time, you kind of just take any stride. But now looking back, it was quite a big accomplishment making make me debut because that 18, 19 years of age, as it would have been my second year YTS kind of age. So I'm really quite proud of myself for that. And it was just... At the time, Bristol Rovers had a lot of big players there and it was quite quite daunting at the time, but I thought I took my chance and did really well. Was there anybody at the club who, who acted as a bit of a mentor for you coming through the team at that age? Um, at the time, because at the time, the, the squad was, was really good. It was pushing from League One and hopefully into the Championship at the time. But the coach at the time, Paul Trollope, he was, he was really, he really good with the youngsters. So it was kind of more him... And Lenny Lawrence at the time kind of helping us, but there was loads of older pros there helping throughout the time. But I couldn't really pinpoint one one specific player. And they they were there for for a number of years, weren't they? they those two as a management duo, and then they left, and things started to to go downhill a bit for Bristol Rovers. I know on a personal note, your first sort of full season in League Two, I think you had a really good year in terms of goals and appearances. Um, but after a few seasons, I think they, they dropped into the National League, didn't they? I think, did they have back-to-back relegations, Bristol Rovers? Um, no, it was... A I couple of years in between. It was in between, yeah. But it was like, when I first went into the, the squad, it was Paul Trollope and Danny Lawrence. That, and that was, the structure was really sound. It was there for a good five, six years, I think. And then when they left, it kind of turmoiled. We had, I think we went through about five managers in one season, kind of with caretakers. So it was a bit of an up-down kind of situation. And then we got relegated, I think it was a couple of games to the end of the season. And then kind of League Two is where I got more more of a chance because the youngsters had more of a chance of playing and kind of played a lot more games. 
Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I think it was back-to-back promotions yeah, when they came back, wasn't it? Not relegation. Yeah. But the end, the end of that season where they went out of the football league, you made the the switch to Exeter. How did how and why did that come about? Because they were fighting relegation, and you seemed to be an important part of that squad. Yeah, at the time I was playing, I was playing in the team. I was scoring goals. I think we had a bit of a good cup run that year. We got, to, I think we played Birmingham, and I was playing well. And I had a, one night I had a phone call off my agent, and he just said, oh, "Do you fancy going to Exeter?" And I said, "Not really," but then. <laughs> A few days later, another phone call basically said, you're going to Exeter. And then I think, I'm not, not known for certain, but I think it's to do with the chairman at the time. I think it was Nick Higgs. He wanted another player who was playing for Exeter, and Exeter wanted me. So he made that deal happen, and I went down there, done, done quite all right, scored a few goals, and then we, well, we stayed up with Exeter. And unfortunately, Bristol Rovers went down. It seems strange when you're describing that move that it was almost like you didn't have much say in the matter. Yeah, it was literally well, the first time, as I said, the agent phoned me. I said, no, I don't really want to go. And then the second phone call a few days later was basically lucky going. So I, I think basically I had no choice. Otherwise, if I stayed, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been playing anymore. And I didn't really speak to the manager at the time, John Ward. I spoke to him a week before. He said I was still in his plans. And... But then when this happened, about I think it was down to the chairman wanted, I think it's Alan Gow, I think, at the time. So we just did a swap deal and that was it then. Does that make you, at the time, a bit resentful when you get forced out of a club when you've done relatively well? Yeah, like as I've been here since I was like 15, 16, so I was like really got, the club's got a really good place in my heart and I, well, I wish I could have stayed and kept them up really because I was playing well scoring goals and I really wanted to stay there but it was kind of out of my hands and that's that's the way football is unfortunately. Yeah absolutely rather cutthroat isn't it and I mean me and myself and Danny might have mentioned that we're both Tramia fans and that's where you ended up the, the following season and it was yeah. a bit of a strange season for Tramia that year because there was a lot of positive PR around the start of it we'd headed in a new direction with with Rob Edwards, uh, Jeremy Butler had just came in and I think we thought we were all going to be going for promotion and it very quickly turned quite sour. What was your sort of experience that season looking back? Um, at the time, I think it kind of came out of the blue when Rob left Exeter because I had a good, good relationship with Rob down in Exeter and then he got the job at Trammy, gave me a phone call, said, do you want to come up? And obviously... He, he told me all the plans, showed me the stadium, where the new training ground the year after when I got there. And it looked like a really good setup, but it was just got there. And I think halfway through pre-season, they changed ownerships, I think. I think Palios took over. Yeah. And then I think we had didn't have too bad of a start of the season. I think we conceded one or two late goals. But we looked really, well, technical, technical manager, Rob, and we, I thought we were going to do quite well. And then, unfortunately, he left. And then Mickey Adams came in, and then that was that was hell for me then. Just before we get on to sort of the, the Mickey Adams era, in terms of Rob Edwards, he always came across as a really good guy, first and foremost. But as you said, quite technical. He'd, he'd done a lot with youth teams, reserve teams, been involved in the Welsh setup. What do you think went wrong for him? Um... I think when he took over, he was very professional, uh, 
possessionally based team and very technical players we got in. And I think I think at the time, I think it was down to when Palios came in and he, he just wasn't wasn't his guy as well. If he took over a club, he's got the right to pick who he wants to be in charge. And I think when he took charge, it wasn't I think we had one or two bad results and then he was gone before you know it. So I don't think he really had a really good go at it. Yeah, I remember in particular, I think there was a game against Cheltenham where we were 2-0 up and we went on to lose 3-2. And then there just seemed to be a bit of a negative momentum that we just struggled to turn around uh, from that point on. But yeah, it's a shame really that it, it just didn't quite work out for Rob Edwards because he, he strikes me as someone who's probably quite well respected in, in football. And um sounds like you had a decent relationship with him as well. Then, of course, Mickey Adams comes in and he started off quite well, um, but then it just seemed to go immediately <laughs> south from there. What was your sort of relationship like with Mickey then? Um, it was like the first training session he came in. I think we had a game on a Tuesday, we was training Monday, and he literally just named the squad, and then it was four of us out. Didn't say a word, and he just, I think it was me, I can't remember the other three lads, and he just sent us off, and we just did running. So that was it. Nothing was said. Went to the game on the Tuesday. I think they played. And then Thursday, Friday, it was literally just... We was all sent off. We kind of trained for a little bit with the first team. And then I think he brought loads of his own players in. So it was basically training. She had no, nobody, no chance of getting in the team. When I spoke to him, he basically just said, look, you're not on my plans to go. And then... After a few weeks, it kind of got a little bit nasty then. It, it kind of stopped us from training. I think I did, before we'd done that, I think I did really well and managed to get back to the team against Bristol Rovers in the FA Cup. So I'd worked work my ass off to get back into the team, played that game, and then I thought I did quite well that game, never played again. And it was just in training, coming in, I think... At the time, we was training. Uh, we was getting changed at the stadium, and then going to the training ground. And we got to the change room door, and he said, "These players go and get changed in the home dressing room." So I think it was three or four of us had to go and get changed across the stadium. Uh, we weren't allowed to have food with the first team, and then we were just sent off and had training. It was four of us, so we just did running every day and didn't touch the first team football then. It seems really strange that a manager would act in that way because you can understand if somebody's decided for whatever reason that they're not going to get in the first 11, but to have a complete dislike of, sorry, lack of respect for a first team player, it just, uh, it's not something you almost expect to see in the game these days. I know we are going back maybe six, seven years, but is that, is that your first sort of encounter with a manager who's behaved that way? Yeah, it was the first time ever. I, as I say, if I'm not in your plan, just just tell me and help me like find another club. Or, but I guess I think it got a bit towards the end. It was getting worse and worse. It was just literally making us trade. When they had the first team game at home, we wasn't able to come and watch. We had to come and drive to the stadium after the game, and then do running after the game, and then literally back home. And it was basically just trying to. I think he's. I wanted to use the word bullying, but it was kind of he had the power over us and we couldn't really do anything. So it was a bit bit difficult. And I think 
it took until about January, and that was, that was when I managed to get leave and go to Cheltenham. But it was just as a thing. Like when I first started trying, I really enjoyed my time at the start, and then when when he turned up, it was just like you're worth nothing. Get out of the club. I'll make your life hell until you do. So that was it, really. Did you ever try to speak to anyone about that, or even Palios himself, and say, "Listen, I know I'm not in the plans, but I don't think this is acceptable." Um, he put a ban on players going through to see any higher members of staff, so the secretary or anyone like that who's not allowed to go and see them. So we got uh, to that stage where we weren't even allowed to go through into the offices and see the secretary or speak to anyone. That is bizarre, isn't it? We've heard, to be honest with you, we've we've heard nothing but sort of negative reviews of of Adams post post and leaving, and um, you kind of don't want to believe these stories to be true. But I think it's got to the stage now where too many people have said them for them not to be, um, and it just doesn't really surprise you that ever since he's left, Trump, maybe he hasn't really done much in the game again. And I'm, I know we're not here to to badmouth anyone or, or anything like that, but I think. To have a to be a, a manager in today's game, and you've got to be aware of people's well-being and the, how you treat them, just as much as the, the physical aspect as well. And it yeah. doesn't seem like he, he considered that at all. No, I think he was proper old school when he came in and just literally said, "Look, you're not in the plans. Get out as soon as you can." And then I guess that's when I said he got a bit nasty towards the end, where I was because I was coming in, I was I had a good attitude, never give him attitude back come in that done what I was told to do and then left so it was a bit it was a bit of a weird situation because it was the first time I've ever been told get out get out of the club kind of kind of way without <laughs> without being helped out kind of he was basically get out of the club or we'll keep making your life hell. Wow. And had you relocated to the world? Or was just yeah, I li- yeah I literally moved up and it was literally as at that time I rented a house out and I was like look I think they tried to make me go on loan up north, even further north. And I was like, look, I can't. At the time, I had my dogs. And I literally said, look, I can't. I need to either move back down south or I'm not going to be able to move. And then that's where it got a bit, bit heated. And then finally, that's when Cheltenham came in. And I managed to get back, back down south. But then I was stuck with that house for another six months, obviously, because of rent and rent and stuff. So that was a bit... Bit unfortunate, but in the end, I was quite glad to just get out of there. Yeah, it must be must be difficult when you've put all that energy into moving to the new area under somebody you know, um, in Bob Edwards, for a new start. And four or five months into it, you're you're having to move, and also then still pay rent for the next six months. But it was Bob Edwards who returned to Cheltenham, I believe, and, and that's how that move came about. Yeah, he was the assistant, but the manager at Cheltenham, Paul Buckle, he was my uh, manager at Bristol Rovers as well when we went to the League Two for the first season. So I already know who uh, Paul Buckle through that, and then luckily he phoned me up and asked me if I wanted to come down. And unfortunately, uh, not that long into Cheltenham career, you uh, sort of had a life-changing event where you were di- diagnosed with testicular cancer. So the build-up to, to those events, had you been feeling really poorly or how, how did that diagnosis come about? Um, it was just like, I think it was, went to Cheltenham, I think I was 10 games in, kind of seen the doctor, I felt, I felt totally fine. 
all I did was see like a little little lump and kind of a bit wary. So I went to my local GP and he just literally sent me off to the hospital. And then literally it was on a Wednesday, I found out I had it. And then phoned the Cheltenham physio said, yeah, got it. So but then I went back, trained Thursday, Friday. And I think we played Plymouth on the Saturday. Played them and released the statement that I had it. And then I was in the op, infant op on the Tuesday afternoon then. So a bit of a whirlwind of a turnaround then. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a shock moving back home so quick from Tramia then finding out I had this. And it was kind of, went from bad to worse really. Just in terms of that process of going to the GP, was it something you did as soon as you, you felt a lump? Uh, and the reason I ask is because obviously a lot of men are apprehensive about going to these doctors for these things. And I think it's a very positive thing that you can say that you, it's something that you did. Yeah, I kind of felt it straight away and I kind of was a bit wary. So I went to the club doctor and he wasn't, wasn't sure. So I went for a second opinion then down my local GP. But it must have been about maybe one, two weeks after I felt it. But obviously, as other men, you should be urged to anything wrong, go to go to see it. But then after I had it, I, would, I had numerous friends go down and get checked. I guess because because what happened to me, because it was obviously out of the blue. That yeah. I it. So I had loads of friends go down and got checked. So it was quite quite important that you do go, go down and get yourself checked if, if there's anything wrong. Absolutely. And- that sort of initial period you, you had to almost come to terms with what you've been told. What, what what were you like? Did you hit a really low spot? Was you feeling resilient and beat around beating it? How did you deal with it personally? Um, at the time, I think I was quite oblivious to it. I didn't really see the, the real danger of it. I kind of guess seen it as I'll have the op and hopefully that'll be me sorted. I can get back football as soon as possible because I had the op and I think a few weeks later I went on holiday just to get away and I come back and I was feeling good and, and then I had to go back and have blood results so I thought oh, hopefully everything's fine I can go go back to football as soon as, as soon as possible and then obviously the blood results shown it got worse and then I had to have chemo and then I think that was really really kind of hit home that it was going to be a long long time before I get back playing again. And, and how how did you um, how were you supported by Cheltenham? Um, well, look, I had all the treatment done in Wales, so it was literally they literally they were good, good with me. Literally, I literally had the uh, op two days later, so I was home operation, and then luckily all the players they gave me the fine money to go on holidays with, so I couldn't have thanked them so much. So they sent me away for a week or so to get my head straight. And from that, I was kind of back home then, all for the treatment. And then I didn't go back to Cheltenham for, I think it was four or five months after, I think. That's, that's nice of them that they, they managed to bandy that money together and, and get you yeah. um, away somewhere while you sort of kind of came to terms with it. And then after you kind of started to, to make that recovery, we know how physical and mentally draining cancer recovery periods can be. Yeah. And then you were away from football. Was was your appetite to play football still as strong as as before it, or had things changed for you in that respect? Um, no, I was, I was literally in my head. It was literally just get get this chemo over and then get back to playing football. That was only my my only focus was just to get get well and get back playing. I didn't have any thoughts of not not coming back to play football. 
it was just get my head down, do the chemo, get back fit and get back playing. So it was not, I didn't really, at the time, didn't have any any major thoughts about stopping playing or anything. It was just head down, get the work done and get back playing. Elliot, did you, um, in terms of that sort of period of time in, in, in your life, you know, you were, you know, you were talking about, you know, the shock of, of getting that the diagnosis and then being away from, from football and what have you. How were you kind of emotionally at that time? Um, I think at the time, I, quite, I was quite naive, I think, in my in my thinking, because I was just thinking, I'd get this done, I'll be back. I didn't really think of the, how dangerous cancer can be and stuff like that. But luckily, I had a good group of people around me, a group of friends, kept, kept me kind of, kept me going. And it was kind of, as I say, just literally watching watching the boys play football. I know it was, it was really hard watching them play, but it was just kind of, I'll be back there one day, so don't worry about it. I read as well. Did you get did you get married during that period as well? <laughs> I did, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. I literally got. I think I got married in it was May time, and I literally I think it was a Sunday, and then the following Tuesday I was in for my chemo. So it was literally quick turn around from a Sunday and then chemo for three, four months then. So let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And then in, in, in September of, of 2015, I read you, that was when you got the, the all clear. That must have been, probably must have been quite an emotional time for you and, and for your family as well. Yeah, I think it, for me, it was, it was a big uh, weight lifted off my shoulders knowing everything was sorted and kind of stuff like that and hopefully well my family I know they were very relieved that everything was done and then hopefully I was that's my road back to recovery to playing football again absolutely and then uh, uh, you know once you'd obviously come through the recovery period with, with your, your cancer diagnosis and you I don't think you played again for Cheltenham did you after after that no I didn't I kind of I rushed back to be honest I should have waited I rushed back I was kind of like overweight I wasn't wasn't ready in the first session I did, I went to do running. I, I nearly collapsed with dizziness and kind of that. I really rushed coming back. Should have took mm. my time. And I think I'd, at the time they were in the conference, they were flying high, they were top of the league. So when I kind of come back, I didn't really get a chance. And then at the time, the manager basically said, oh, you're not on my plans, just go and try and find another club. And that was it then. I so, presume that was, that was, that must have been quite difficult given, you know, what you'd gone through to, to get back to, to football to then be told that you know you're not in the, the manager's plans yeah it, it was hard because I was literally they finished pre-season so I was doing pre-season on my own coming back from zero fitness all my muscles were kind of basically gone so I was starting from scratch and then I think I was kind of nearly back to full match fitness and I tore my hamstring so I was out for I think it was four or five weeks of that and kind of managed to come back went on loan played went on loan to Bath City for a few months then that's when I come back, he basically said, look, you're not on my plans. So I was a bit, I could have done with another pre-season and given it another really good go, but obviously football, you don't got much time in football, so that was it. Yeah, absolutely. And we we, we, we kind of talk on, on this podcast a lot about, you know, the support that's, that's, that's at football clubs for for players, you know, when they you know, when there's this difficult periods and, you know, we're talking, about, Brian was mentioning the words well-being and, and emotional support. I presume at that time that you, you know, you're working out to get back on the team physically. Was there anything off the pitch that was in place that, you know, anywhere you were able to go to, to talk about, you know, mentally how you would approach getting back into, into football? 
No, there's absolutely nothing about like back then as a team when League Two teams not really got big budgets like like the Premier League boys. So it was it was basically I had my fitness coach, so I did most of the work with my physio. But other than that, there was no one you could really go and talk to or anything about. It was just the fat friends or family if you had anything to say. Really, do you think you'd have if if there had been something available, you'd have you'd have taken advantage of that? You'd you know gone and used it. Um, I think I would have because it was a few times at Chatham where it was really kind of really down and kind of did worry that I wasn't going to get back into into the kind of football that I was playing before. So I was really worried. But as I said, there was no one really to talk to. So I guess I had to put that back, put it at the back of my head and kind of get on with it, really. Yeah. And and you, um, subsequent to, to, to that time, you you know, you've you've spent time at Western Supermare and Merthyr Town and Hereford as well. And you got you were promoted, weren't you, when you were at you were at Hereford? Is that right? Yeah, we got promoted like before when we went to Merthyr. It was just literally because it's close to home. I just wanted to after leaving Charm, I just wanted to get home and kind of start enjoying football again because I didn't really want to be going crossing traveling the, the country to try and try and play again and if it didn't work out. So I guess moved home, got my head down and then kind of played for Merthyr for a season and a half and then that's when I went to Hereford and we got first season I went there we got promoted and that was really the first time I really started to enjoy my football again. Yeah that must have been I presume that must have been I mean the Hereford are you know they're a decent sized club as well and they they were a big fish in a small pond at that time as well mainly the crowds were decent yeah. and a bit of momentum behind it that must have been you know for you like it must have been amazing to sort of maybe feel like a footballer again as opposed to the first time in a little while. Yeah, because when I first broke through Bristol Rose, Hereford was in League One at the time when mm. we was in League One. So the kind of the club when I moved there, we was playing teams away, and they, we were taking more fans away, and they had home fans, and it was playing like two, three thousand at home, which did really feel like a proper professional football club again, rather than playing proper non-league. But so it did really feel like I was back playing to my best, and then we got promoted, and then it went from there. Then really, absolutely, and then. You you you're at um you're at Barnet now as well, aren't you? And and how did that how did that move come about? I mean, that's a little bit away from from where where you you're based, isn't it? And um, the manager that took me to Hereford, he took over a Barnet job in the summer, and he just phoned me up, said, "Oh, do you want to come down, have a look at you, just to see if I was kind of fit?" So I went down for pre-season. I think I trained a week, and he was he was pleased with me. Then they offered me offered me a deal to stay down there, and I thought kind of. At this kind of stage of my career now, I thought I'd give it one last proper go. And he, he, he showed me around the stadium and the training facilities down there. I was really pleased and I thought, let's give it a go. Yeah, it's a nice setup, isn't it, down at Barn? It's all kind of brand new, the, the ground and what have you, isn't it? it? You were talking before we started recording, Elliot, about, you know, your commuting back and forth from Barnet in terms of, you know, before your injury, back to, to Wales. I, do you think there's kind of, I mean... For yourself, given you know you've played different parts of the country and it, and it, and it's sort of most of the levels, sort of League One, League Two, National League, and and some other levels as well. It's it seems like quite a a you know quite a difficult life being a lower league footballer in terms of the amount of travelling that's involved, you know the knockbacks that you can get and the the cutthroat nature of it. How does it feel like being within it? Does it feel like quite a difficult environment to to work in? Um, yeah, it's, it's well, extremely difficult because you can be be told you're not wanted at any time. You kind of it's not kind of big money where you can go and move your family here, there, and everywhere. It's kind of got to be careful, as you know, London is a lot more expensive than what Wales is to move, and it's kind of 
as you say, it's, it is really hard work. It's, well, as you say, football's cutthroat. And at the moment, there's a lot of players that haven't got clubs at the moment. So we've just got to be, be grateful that, that I've got a club. Yeah, of course. And you, 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 you know, we, we spoke briefly beforehand about the, the injury that you got in the, the FA Cup match against Burton, um, which was, it was November last year, wasn't it? How, yeah. um, how were you kind of, you know, when that injury comes about and, you know, after everything you've, you've sort of been through to get back to a, a, a club like Barnet and then to, to have that injury, how did that kind of affect you? Um, yeah, it was quite hard because I kind of got to Barnet, worked, worked my socks off all pre-season to get back to properly professional fit kind of fit, fit standard and then kind of got off to a decent start, played for Barnet in the league and then in got in the FA Cup and it was just a freak accident kind of on my own and my knees just give way and it's kind of at the moment I thought oh no here we go again kind of thinking it's going to be, might be all over but I've had to kind of stay positive and I've had two obstacles on it now so I've just got to get my head down do my rehab and then kind of try and get back to Barnet get back fit. Absolutely and we, we, we kind of hear you know about you know footballers when 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 you you are injured and you know maybe there's difficulties with maybe feeling isolated from the squad. And I suppose this year is as much, you know, more than any other year with COVID, that must have been that must have been a difficult process going through your rehab and being, I know you're back in Wales, aren't you, being detached from the rest of the squad? Yeah, it's been quite hard because everything, everything's been closed back home. So luckily I've I've got, I've been able to get to a gym back home. So, but I've literally been on my own kind of doing all the rehab. So it's been a bit difficult, but I've been going back and forth kind of every other week to kind of, see the squad but as you know this season's not been the greatest for Barnet so it's not not the best atmosphere atmosphere down there at the moment but hopefully things will change and hopefully pre-season I'll get back down there and kind of get back in with all the squad. Yeah it's, it, Ryan and I were talking before we came on about it's it's quite surprising because the squad at Barnet seems quite strong for the level you know looking at where you are on the table it's it's quite surprising mm-hmm. isn't it that it's the, 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 the side's struggling. Yeah, like we, I think we got off to not a bad start and then kind of a few bad results, I think, and then change of manager. And then I think that manager, I think he didn't get off to the best of starts. And I think halfway through his reign, it kind of come out that there's no relegation. So I think that kind of pushed the chairman to kind of get rid of him. And then I think they, they've got a new setup, I think, down there now with assistants and kind of coaches and head of football, I think. So it's hopefully it's, it's getting changed into the right, right direction. But I said, be thankful there's no relegation at the moment. So, mm. kind of looking forward to like next season rather than kind of finishing this one. I think. Yeah. When are you? When are you kind of hoping to be back playing? Um, I think hoping, well, September time. I think if if everything goes to plan, kind of. But hopefully, fingers crossed, everything goes to plan. I can get back playing as soon as possible. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, do you think your the experience that you went through with your with the cancer diagnosis and the recovery and everything that came with that is kind of, you know, it gives you a bit of you know something that you can lean back on from previous experiences when you have setbacks like this. Yeah, I think so. Because I was out for so many months with with the cancer, so with this I can kind of really get my head down. No, I've got a got a long layoff, so I've just got, mentally just got to keep with it, and then hopefully all my rehab goes to plan and I get back. Back playing, back, back, oh, sorry, back playing to my best. Yeah, of course, mate. And we had um, 
we spoke to, to uh, Alaman a few a few weeks back, um, and he had sort of a not massively dissimilar kind of career path in a way to, to yourself, and so much as you know, we played a lot of games when he was very young, and then injuries and one thing or another kind of you know momentum can be a big thing in football, can't it? You know, in terms of yeah. when it's going for you, it can you know you're you're off and you're flying, and then maybe when things start to go against you, it can kind of knock you back a little bit. Is that kind of quite difficult to deal with, given? You know, as you say, when you first came through, you were in League One and, you know, playing every week and, and you know, you were flying at that stage and then, you know, it, a couple of things here and there and it can it can curtail your career a little bit. Yeah, as you said, when, when I was younger, I got a quick start into my playing career. I kind of played a lot of games when I was younger and then uh, obviously when I got cancer, it was kind of blink of an eye. It was like three, four years gone out of my career. So it was kind of a bit looking back, is a bit bit hurting a little bit that I didn't make more football league appearances kind of but hopefully you now I'm back back for Barnet and hopefully I can play a lot more games. Yeah. And your um when you were when you kind of were going through that period of your life and and you know the injury you've had recently, we have kind of there's been a lot of talk hasn't there recently about the 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 work that maybe the PFA does or doesn't do with with players when they're in difficult situations. Did you do you did you have much contact at all with the PFA or with the football authorities or anything when you've you know when you had your cancer diagnosis and your injury and you know that type of thing um no i didn't have no contact whatsoever it was it was as i said nothing i had my friends and family that's all i wanted i didn't well i didn't speak to the pfa or anything like that really yeah no it's it's it yeah it seems to be quite inconsistent with with whether people get help or no help some people seem to kind of have a a positive experience with it and other people it doesn't, you know, there seems to be very little there for them in terms of yeah. support and guidance and what have you. It's, it's, you know, it's quite, quite concerning, I suppose, in a lot of ways, isn't it? For, for players, there's a lot of kind of, particularly at the moment during COVID, there's a lot of uncertainty, isn't there? Yeah, I think, I think if I maybe if I reached out a bit more, they might give me, give me a bit of help. I, as I said, I have my friends and family. I didn't really, didn't really want any extra help, but obviously this time as well, there's a lot. Lot more kind of worse with COVID and everything in people's mental health at this moment in time, but hopefully, the, as you said, this was five six years ago now. So hopefully, the PFA has come a, a lot lot further now. Yeah, of course. And that, and you know that 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 phrase, mental health, that you just used there earlier, and that's the kind of the focus of a lot of what our conversations on the podcast in terms of your own mental health. How have you kind of been with the last few months so since your injury? Um, it's obviously been difficult, but I've had I've got good good people around me, and it's kind of just my focus is just getting back fit, so I've got something to focus on rather than just just being around, not being able to focus on anything. So I've just got my head focused on getting back fit, and that that's it really. Welcome back. I've still got Ant with me, Anthony Olson, mm. and obviously that was a, a an episode Ryan and I did, and you've listened back to it, you know, to to, to prep mm. for today's recording. I want to get your thoughts on on listening back. You know, you were a, a Tramia fan who watched Elliot wearing the white shirt, so he's someone that you would be aware of. And it's always interesting when you got that somebody who's played for your club and you then get to get a good insight into, you know, who they are as a person and some of the things they've gone through. So hit me with some of your thoughts, mate. I'd just like to say I thought he was a really, really nice fella. Yes. To be honest, yes. I think that... I uh, think that's always worth highlighting. Yeah, yeah. yeah what, a, what a lovely chap. Um and then obviously the the stuff he goes through at Tramia, and I, I, I kind of focus on that because I don't, I'm not sure whether he, he would have experienced quite the same level of chaos in yes, any other yeah. club in in his career. Um, I, I wrote down before when I was listening to it, I was like, why is it always left to the young lads? 
after a relegation. And there's this big thing in football. It's like, oh, we've been relegated, so we need to fix something. Well, yeah, clearly. <laughs> what is it? Oh, we'll give it to the young lads. They've got passion. They've got desire. And then <laughs> you end up with this team that is like really young and doesn't have the experience in yeah. there. Or that, you know, th- this game's really hard. Like, football's difficult. Do you know what it kind of reminds me At that level, of? particularly. And you're like, and then, then it all goes south and changes. And you're like, why did we try that? And, I, and I'm not saying that with, with, with Elliot. I, I just... There was an overall feeling of like, oh, we need to go homegrown. We need to create player profiles and this and that. I remember that being a thing. I think people try and get too clever with it. Yeah. I also think it reminds me a little bit of when England used to do really badly at tournaments. Oh, it'd be like, oh, the next, get, all, yeah. get all the championship players in. They'll yeah. play with passion. No, don't get them in. They're just worse footballers. <laughs> and that's a terrible idea. Oh, yeah, just drop Wayne Rooney and we'll just play somebody else who's yeah. just not as good. I just found that, that, that little bit mad. I mean, obviously, the stuff... I feel like I'm all right to say this because a lot of people and a lot of footballers have said it. I mean, the stuff he goes through with Mickey Adams there is is just absolutely well. It's it's just poor. It's just it it leaves a bad taste, and you know to you to shouldn't ju- treat anybody like that no, in football really. or not in yeah. football, whatever the circumstance. It's just not acceptable. Yeah. And you know we've we've spoken to lots of people who've worked in football, lots of footballers, and and there does seem to have been these occasions where. People just seem to forget that the people that they're working with are human beings. Yeah, and you know, speaking of human beings, you see the difference in in football and in life. You know, he goes to is it Cheltenham? He's he's at, and they they have a whip round with the fine money, and they send him on holiday. And that that, was lovely. That one, it's like that's the nice part of football. Why can't you just all be like that? But instead, you've got a a manager who keeps going on about the story of. I know we did. We had to wash the kits ourselves at Fulham in the third division. It was like, all right, mate, you were owned by Do- by by Al Fayed. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it, 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 it's. And like, how long ago was that? Yeah, yeah, and it's like twenty, thirty years. Stop yeah. talking about it. So it's difficult, and he's not the first player to come out and, and say that. We've seen it in in a, in a lot of a lot of different areas. Um, I thought the way he actually spoke about that, and he said, I just got on with it, I got on with it, I worked hard, and, and, and he eventually got his move and got a, got a chance to go somewhere else and and did pretty well. Obviously, unfortunately, the setback that he had is a, is a really life-changing changing event, and I was just talking to you before, Dan, about, you know, he's only two years older than us. Mm. So, again, it's 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 a real, like, stark uh, reminder of, like, hang on, these things can happen, and with testicular cancer, it happens to a lot of young Young lads, anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think the statistics around, you know, eighteen to twenty-four. I think it's quite high. Um, so obviously that's a that's something I don't think a lot of people know. I, I'm pretty sure it's eighteen to twenty-four. It's certainly certainly young, uh, young adults anyway, young male adults. So I just think, you know, I know when he's obviously going going through that, the, the care that we've we've seen with them as well. He's talking, you know, two days later, I was I was I was having the surgery. I was I was getting myself sorted. You know, again, we compare that to, to say, Simon Howarth's leg injury. Mm-hmm. And that all went wrong, and that kind of finished his career because it was yeah. the wrong stuff put in. It was it took too long, and, you you know, you can't have that. <laughs> you know, you're dealing with yeah. people's lives. And it, it, I think it would probably shock you, and it certainly shocked me to, to learn what actually goes on at these football clubs or what they go on. Yeah. Um, well, it's particularly int- just... Because it's like, oh no, we haven't got the money. And you're yeah. like, okay. And and it's interesting that you mentioned that really because, you know, one of the big things that we've been, you know, we've been banging the drum for over these last few episodes and the episodes coming out on Friday as well is about the importance of making sure and going get getting yourself mm-hmm. checked mm-hmm. and about the the treatments options that are available for you. And it's one of the key themes that comes up in in Friday's 
um, episode is is the sort of range of options of treatment and, and, and sort of early intervention that's available as well. Um, one thing that I picked up on in Elliot's interview, which, which I remember at the time thinking was really interesting and certainly interesting for us, given the podcast that we do and, and, and our aim to kind of try and speak to men in a way that they understand through using football as the vehicle, you know, to get a bit of better understanding of, of your mental health, but also your physical health. Elliot said that after he had his incident, he got his diagnosis, all his mates went to the doctors and got their testicles checked out. And that that was obviously through a, oh shit, let's just, I don't know. I, just feel that for me. Just feel <laughs> that and tell me if that's all right. And I think it's interesting that, you know, there's a good example of taking the, the, the you know, it's got to an extreme, but it's, cause people to go and do it and one thing that I think we've always tried to do is empower men to tell other men their male friends go just go to the doctor and get it sorted out go and see a therapist and talk to someone about it go and open up about that don't be embarrassed about it you know your voice to your male friends is so powerful because it it puts them in your shoes do you know what I mean that they're going well he, he doesn't think it's weird or odd or, or embarrassing or anything so I can go and do it can't I yeah, absolutely. And I think obviously in that point you're looking at a role model there, aren't you, as yeah, well? And yeah. I think that's yeah, it's it's quite heartwarming. I imagine he was probably like, Oh, that's that's great, at least you know, that's that's brilliant really. Um and obviously as you say, he's all checked out. I, I think we play with them enough, you know, we should know if something's wrong. All right, Ant. Hey, well, it's been locked down. There's not much <laughs> else to do. Um but no, that you should know well, it seems silly, but you you should know what's different what's going on and obviously we yeah. just kind of ignore these things and get on with it and crack on and yeah get them in your hands when you're next in the shower yeah. and just give them a little you know we see you know what i mean we, we, i mean the, the one that sticks out in my mind is is obviously on this morning which is you know i, I wouldn't personally watch it uh but the you're more of a lorraine man aren't you mm, no no Moving not on. for me no <laughs> um so the the video with uh, Chris Hughes, obviously a very popular uh, Love Island contestant, and yeah. he's on ITV Racing now as well. He's making a great career for himself, and him having a, a, a check live on television, yeah, like that. That it shouldn't need that, yeah. but if it does, then fine. No, I think that's we'll, a great. We'll, we'll I think that's it. a great thing, and it's yeah. a great demonstration of perhaps the change in perception, the people, change in face of, of yeah. men as and well. People will look up to that and go, oh, "Hang on." Yeah, go on. Yeah, that's fine. And he's th- doing it because you know the the overriding opinion is he's pretty cool. Like, so yeah. yeah, it's fine. And you know, as we saw during some of the scenes before the England game, lots of men are not that embarrassed when they've had a few um, to get bits of their body out. <laughs> so yeah, I wouldn't recommend uh, sticks doing that. Well, you know, if, you know, if it gets you where you need to be, <laughs> do you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I think that's, you know, we, you can't reiterate it enough how yeah. important it is. And, you know, it was great for Elliot to come on and talk to us about, you know, what must have been a really scary time for him and for his family as well. And thankfully, you know, they were able to catch it early and he was able to come out on the other side. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know, obviously Ryan's not here today. But you know how we've previously described him as a football pervert? Ryan. Yeah. When you asked him about Tampa Bay rowdies, and he just went, "Was that with uh, Stuart Campbell?" I've never heard of Stuart Campbell in my life. <laughs> I've just about heard of the Tampa Bay rowdies, and I was kind of like, "How do you know? How do you retain that information?" It's just, it's amazing. If he was here now, I'd, I'd congratulate him. He's probably listening. Mm, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, 
that's probably a probably a worthwhile place for us to to wrap up. Stuart mm-hmm. Campbell, he probably, he probably didn't think he was getting a mention. No, 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 he didn't. And he has done. He has. He's done very well. Um, and thank you very much for for your time and for your thoughts. And yeah. a big thanks to to you, the listener. And a big thanks to to Elliot Richards. Huge well. thanks, huge thanks, because it it can't be a difficult thing to to talk about. Kind of go back in, you know, back yeah. to the well almost, isn't it? And and you know, dig up feelings and, and yeah. thoughts and stuff from a from a scary time and particularly to talk to us three or well, to you too yeah. exactly yeah and as well if you think about it what he's doing he's doing it to try and make sure that somebody else doesn't end up in a in a position that he yeah. ended up in which is brilliant or does end up in that position where they catch it early yeah and that's 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 the important thing um we're going to hand you over now to Elliot's mini quiz We've obviously, of course, spoken a lot today and on Friday's episode about that importance of getting your check self checked out, and we can't, you know, we can't reiterate it enough. We said it loads and loads and loads with regards to mental health over the last, you know, eighteen months or whatever it is since we've been doing the podcast. You know, classically, we're not great at it. We are getting better. We need to get better. And you know, I think a lot of people probably over the pandemic thinking oh, it's hard to get a GP appointment or oh, the GPs are short. They're not short. They're open. Ring them up. Phone up. Get an appointment, check yourself out. It's all that needs to be done. And it's absolutely vital. You know, and, and in terms of sort of reiterating that importance, we've, we've obviously done this episode today. We've got another episode out, as we mentioned, on Friday, which is really special for us. We're with speaking with uh, Tracy Tombides, who is Dylan Tombides' mum, who was a West Ham player. I'm sure you remember died back in 2014 following a three year battle with testicular cancer. A lot of lessons to learn from that. A lot of things that, that that she's trying to do with their charity, DT38, to reiterate that message about getting yourself checked, about educating yourself on the signs and the things to look out for. So, you know, it's an emotional listen on Friday. It's not the easiest conversation because, there's, you know, it, somebody losing a son, it's, it's tragic, but it is really important. So I would wholeheartedly um, like to push you in that direction and get that listened to on Friday morning. That'll be in all the usual places. So we're now going to hand you over to Elliot for his mini quiz and we'll see you again on Friday. Thank you very much for listening. So you made your debut in 2010 coming on as a substitute against Gillingham. Do you know who you've replaced that day? Andy Williams. Yeah. Oh, flying. <laughs> flying. It's going to be good, I can tell, Dan. <laughs> um, you scored your first professional goal in a 2-1 defeat away to Colchester in 2011. Do you remember which current League Two striker scored twice for Colchester that day? Um, I've got a clue. Uh, Ian Henderson. No, I've got that one. He's about 50 now, isn't he, Ian Henderson? Why <laughs> yeah, are he still playing? Still going strong, isn't he? Um, you scored your first career hat-trick in a 7-1 win against Burton Albion in 2012. Which current championship manager was the Burton Albion gaffer that day? Uh, I think it's is it Rowett? Yeah, that's the was, one. It was. So you were um you were sent off for the first time in a two one defeat away to Rochdale in two thousand and twelve. Do you remember which Scottish centre half was also sent off for Bristol Rovers that day? Harry Kenneth. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I heard I couldn't find any highlights, but I, I read it was a bit it wasn't a great tackle by yourself that got yourself sent off. Um it was just a strikers league challenge really. <laughs> I did it, I knew I knew I was getting sent off. It wasn't a nasty one, it was just a it's a high foot and missed <laughs> During your time at Tramia, do you remember which Liverpool based high street brand was the club shared sponsor? Oh, home bargain, is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Can have any leader at the top of the leaderboard, I think. I know. I know, absolutely flying here. Okay, so um you of course spent some time in uh, in in America at the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Yeah. Do you know which club Tampa Bay can test the Florida Derby against? It's Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Have you seen these before, Andy? I feel like I send you these by accident. Uh, my uncle is in Fort Lauderdale, so I was out there last year, so... There you go, there you go. Inside knowledge. Did, was you there when Joe Cole was there? Or did you just pass each other? No, I left about a month before, I think. How did you um, How did you end up over in... It, it... Was it Stuart Campbell? It was Stuart Campbell, yeah, the captain of Brewers when I was... when I was League One, and then he was caretaker for a bit. So it was him just, just giving me a call, really, and then went from there. What happened there? Okay, you didn't make an appearance, uh, did you? No, it was kind of wrong time for me at, at my career. As I said, I left, from, I left Cheltenham and my head wasn't really, yeah. really in the right place. I moved over there all on my own, kind of, on my own, and it just wasn't wasn't the right time. And then, unfortunately, I guess said to Stuart, look, it's just not, it's not right. I guess, I guess I want to get back home, and that was it, really. Fair enough. Um, question number seven. You made your non-competitive Tramia debut in a 5-0 win at the Kirkland Stadium. Do you remember the name of the club made famous by a shipbuilding company who you played that day? No, I don't. Camelhead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've always got um, we've always got the old uh, Boaty McBoface in Camelhead all the time, haven't we now? Yeah. He's always sat in there. Um, Okay, so whilst playing for Tranmere, you played alongside former Wales international Jason Kumas. In 34 international appearances, how many goals did Kumas score for Wales? God, um, say eight. Oh, you're not far off. Ten. Ten. <laughs> what was uh, Kumas like? And I know he's known as not a very good trainer, but um, in terms of his ability, even at that age, was he still? Um, yeah, you could always see that little glimpse of like little touch and whip in the top corner. And I got on quite well with him because he, obviously he was down Cardiff City. Yeah. And when I, when I was growing up, I had a season ticket, so he was kind of kind of down there playing and he was kind of one of the, the main Cardiff City players. So it was great uh, watching him from the stands and then having the chance to play with him was, was really good. Brilliant, yeah. That, that, um, that was the pre-season where we played... Didn't we play Everton in the, in the pre-season? And we were 2-0 down and then we came back to draw two all. That was that year, wasn't it? And yeah, did, so, yeah. did, did John Stones undercook a back pass and Cole Stockton took it off him? Dinked it over the keeper. I think so, yeah. 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 I remember that. Kumas came on a half time in that game and he was he was he was amazing. He was just absolutely brilliant. He was just rolling back the ears. He was about 40 and he was <laughs> playing against like Gareth Barry. <laughs> and he was just <laughs> drifting past them. Elliot, that's everything, mate. Thank you for um, thank you for your time. It's 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 been great speaking to you, and um, yeah, best of luck with with the recovery and everything. And yeah, I know it was um, yeah, thanks so much for for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's been been good talking about my experiences. Thank you very much.